shakers, the film and TV makers, the producers, the directors, the writers, the actors, the cinematographers, the production designers, the costumers, the editors, the sound mixers and editors, the film editors, the choreographers, the composers, authors. We talk to them all. And just welcome, welcome to the morning after the night before in Hollywood with the slap heard round the world. Yes, indeed. Um... A lot of brouhaha happening today. You know, I generally like to keep the shows more evergreen without specific time events, but it is Oscar. It was Oscar Sunday yesterday, and it gave us an Oscar that we will never forget, one that in all honesty was a train wreck. Uh, and it was a train wreck before Will Smith broad-slapped Chris Rock across the face and then shouted profanities uh, repeatedly. For the American audience, uh, the sound was <laughs> bleeped out. Uh, but for the rest of the world, and most of us have already seen the unfiltered, uh, what was broadcast, live telecast, uh, thanks to a lot of people in Australia who got it, we heard everything that spewed from Will Smith's mouth. A mouth. Um, it really put an even worse damper, not only on the evening, but on the Academy as a whole. Um, he wasn't removed. Nothing was said. The only statement from the Academy thus far is they don't condone, condone any kind of violence. Uh, this didn't just happen. It happened on a live television broadcast to billions of people around the world. And... There was no heartfelt apology. There was no apology at all to Chris Rock from Will Smith, um, who then, after his display, went on to win the Oscar for Best Actor for his performance in King Richard. Um, this is not a funny situation. It is serious. The Academy needs to come forward uh, with a statement. What's going to happen now? You know, there have already been problems in comedy clubs uh, with people rushing stages when they don't like jokes. And this all stemmed from a joke that Chris Rock told, which when you look at the tape, Will Smith was laughing at. His wife wasn't laughing, but he was laughing. So, you know, there's a lot going on here, and I think more of it has to do with Will Smith and his personal life than Chris Rock's joke. But we're at the point now. What's next? Everyone is going to have to sign a... a hold harmless agreement, a waiver, whenever they attend an event like this, that, hey, we're taking our life in, in our hands. We could be attacked. It's a bad situation. The Academy needs to say something today. They need to take a stand. And I think that there needs to be some kind of penance or penalty against Will Smith. 
Um, everybody's so quick to sanction and complain about other Academy members or directors or actors who do things they, that they deem inappropriate. They're done off camera. They're not done on live television. Um, I applaud Chris Rock, total professionalism, that he regained his composure quickly, went on to present Best Documentary to Questlove, um, and is not file as of this point, has refused to file a police report. That's a class act, people. That's somebody who doesn't abuse the judicial system, the criminal law system, uh, and who looks at the bigger picture. Will Smith did not. Uh, and it's not a good thing. And this is after <laughs> two hours of proceeding where... Uh, Crappy jokes. So many of the of the comedy sketch routines from Amy Schumer, Wanda Zykes, and Regina Hall fell flat. Most notably, Regina Hall's dealing with. It starts out with a joke about COVID, calling people out of the audience about COVID testing. You don't joke about COVID. You don't joke about COVID testing, especially since several people, notable people, including Lin Manuel Miranda, did not attend uh, the awards because his wife was died has COVID. He did not want to take a chance and come and possibly infect people. Uh, Kenneth Branagh didn't know if he would make it because he had been quarantined for COVID. He luckily did recover and make it in time. But you don't start out with a COVID joke about testing and pull men out of the audience and then proceed to start patting them down in inappropriate fashion, grabbing butts, rubbing yourself against them. These are the very things that, that these same women and so many others complained about, about the, the 21st century casting couch and demanding more respect and demanding that people like Harvey Weinstein, you know, be punished for their quote-unquote offensive conduct. Well, watching the, the Oscars last night, that conduct by Regina Hall in a comedy sketch was just as offensive, if not more so, and hypocritical. Um, that just, and it just kept going. You know, Wanda Zykes was hilarious going through on a pre-recorded tour of the Academy M Museum. It was lovely to show people what's there. Uh, unfortunately, the pacing of the night was bad. And this whole idea of cutting eight, eight awards from the live telecast and editing in just handing the people the award and giving their speech. Um, that failed miserably. But the whole idea from Will Packer, ABC, and the Academy of streamlining to cut down on time, well, this lovely Academy Awards, 94th Awards, came in at 3 hours and 42 minutes. Yeah. They really streamlined that one. This whole fan picks thing. Did you only talk to Marvel fans or people who were who were in their twenties? Um, just it was just a rolling train wreck, one after another. The in memoriam, uh, I don't know. I did not know that I would be watching an uh, an Elmer Gantry revival meeting, um, and applause, applause, applause for the decorum. 
and the reverence that Kevin Costner brought hit w- to present the award for best achievement in directing. Costner was total class. Costner is what the Academy Awards should be and used to be. Um, he was spectacular. Anthony Hopkins, same thing. And then we get to the final award of the night, Best Picture. And Lady Gaga and Liza Minnelli presented. And Lady Gaga's courtesy and kindness on stage with Liza, who got a little bit flummoxed, was so beautiful to see. We saw that in how she worked with Tony Bennett uh, in all of their concert performances and recording. We see it again here. Class. Class. Um, But short of those few things, train wreck. Train wreck. So, obviously there needs to be some more retooling for next year, if there is a next year. Um, You know, they made jokes about the Golden Globes die to death. Well, guess what? You pretty much killed the Academy Awards and took every bit of luster it ever had away last night. So, bad on you. You did not celebrate film. You did not unite moviegoers. Uh, It was a sad, sad commentary on the state of things in Hollywood. Capped off by Will Smith's actions. But, a lot of winners. No surprises with the winners. Coda won Best Picture. Will Smith won Best Actor. Troy Kotzer won for Coda in a Best Supporting Role. Jessica Chastain, who gained a ton of steam after SAG. And picking up that, one for the eyes of Tammy Faye. Ariana DeBose, um, West Side Story. Encanto won for Best Animated Feature. Not my pick, but (laughs) he won. Dune was the big winner with six awards. Best Cinematography for Greg Frazier. So, so well-deserved. Best Film Editing to Joe Walker for Dune. Then we had Best musical, best Original Score to Hans Zimmer. Then we had Best Production des- Design to Dune. And we had Best Sound Design. Yay, Mark Mangini. Our regular listeners know Mark has been here in studio on the show before. Um, the guys at Formosa are amazing and so well-deserved. Best Visual Effects, the same team that... Uh, I was fortunate enough to present the award for at the Hollywood Critics Association. Best visual effects went to Dune. Um, I was very thrilled, though, that Kenneth Branagh won for best original screenplay for Belfast. You know that has been my pick of the entire year. Uh, One award is better than no awards. But no real surprises here uh, with the winners. Everything else was the big surprise. But... That's it for another year, if there is another year. Um, so let's jump into today's Behind the Lens. Um, I'm so thrilled today to welcome at the midpoint of the show uh, Alessandra Gentili, writer-director of a charming and really interesting little short film called Lodo. Um I'm not going to tell you anything about it right now. It had its world premiere at Santa Barbara International Film Festival earlier this month. But Alessandra is going to join us 
And we're going to talk all about this film that introduces us to another fantastic little young actor. But before then, you're going to hear my exclusive interview with my, my dear friend, uh, Hani Abu Asad, writer, director. Uh, you know him for his work, The Mountain Between Us, which he directed, uh, which starred Kate Winslet and Indris Elba. Paradise Now, Omar, The Idol. And now Hani gives us Huda's Salon. As Hani himself describes it, Huda's Salon is a feminist journey with controversial themes, a thriller with humor, a Shakespearean drama with a tragic love story. This is the story of Reem, a young mother married to a man who's extremely jealous and possessive. And she goes to Huda's Salon in Bethlehem. And this whole film was shot in Bethlehem, in Nazareth. She loves to go to the beauty salon. Okay, how many women out there like going to the beauty salon? Um, But something happens at her most recent visit. And Reem is put into a very compromising and shameful situation that entails blackmail by Huda. Uh, And it has, and the blackmail has to do with working for the Secret Service. And betraying her people. It is a fascinating film. It is a timely political drama. It is based on real events. That have happened in the region. And elsewhere around the world. When you think about it. Um, It's about loyalty. To family. To country. Being a mother. uh, Being a wife. It is tension filled. uh, filled. Hani just. He knows how to ratchet up tension. And he really does that here. But then he brings in some of the most beautiful cinematographic elements, thanks in large part to his cinematographers, Peter Flinkenberg and Ahab Asal, and then his editor, E.S. Salman, who also edited for Hani on Omar. Uh, this was shot during COVID. They sh- had to shut down production for over seven months. Um, Hani himself contracted COVID. You're going to hear him talk about that and landed in the hospital. So... Without any further ado, take a listen to my exclusive interview with Hani, Hani Abu Asad talking about Huda's Salon. Hi, Debbie. How are you? My darling Hani, how are you? Long time no here. Well, that's because you've been on the other side of the globe working. <laughs> Oh, I'm so. to hear your voice. Um, Where are you now? I'm I'm in LA. I'm I'm in Culver City. I'm at home. Yeah! Wow! 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 I miss uh, Culver City. I miss seeing you. That's what yeah, I miss. Yeah. Well, uh, I was just telling uh, Carlos that uh, whatever you plan in life, something bigger will happen and will change all your plans. That's for sure. <laughs> oh my god I so how have you been have you been good yes yes you know I am um, I got the COVID when no when there was no vaccination you know and it was very happy actually but I, I am fine now and I'm happy that uh, it was uh, tough I have to say and I feel like now I because it was almost like you know 
Absolutely. I think the entire pandemic uh, hopefully will have made a lot of people realize that and appreciate what they have a little bit more. I'm just amazed. I'm amazed because I know you had to shut down Huda's Salon because of COVID. This film is, and I'm so glad you got to go back and finish the film because this is another Another riveting film, honey. You've done another wonderful job with this film. Thank you. I, 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 I am. You know, I, I was hoping that I will get. Uh, I, I was really hoping to make a movie about women in 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 the, in, in the Middle East, and I will. I, I will like, and I will be. I will be like touching this uh, correctly, and I'm glad to hear that. Uh, women in general felt more connected to the movie than men, uh, yeah. especially like women in, in, in the Arab world. Like the, like some in some screening, uh, when the light goes on and I look to the faces of women and I see the the nightmare they went through because they are the one who will feel this the most. Although I am sensitive, still I I I can't live that experience, you know, because it's different, you know, mm -hmm. body, it's a different mindset. But I'm happy that I could put myself in this situation in a way, in an honest way, that women were pleased uh, by this movie. Not, not, uh, not, 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 let's say, not pleased in a, in a negative sense. Right. In a positive sense. Well, I have to say, I think you really captured the female perspectives extremely well so well honey huda is a fascinating character reem is fascinating and i love how you have melded strength sacrifice regret betrayal and manipulation with each woman and I love seeing how you follow through where Huda looks at what she does as empowering women to a large degree. And we see that taking shape in Reem. So you get justification for the different perspectives that we have. But you also get the questioning. You give the questioning. Okay, well, maybe the means justifies the end, but does it really? And you give us a lot of food for thought by the time this film ends. But I was riveted. I could not look away from this film, from these characters, and how darn beautiful the film looks. But your cinematography is, again, gorgeous. Thank you, thank you. You know, like, I, um, I, want, I wanted to explore thematically the contradiction in life, like how evil can't exist without good and how betrayal can, can't exist without 
loyalty. So also in in cinema, I want to explore the contradic contradicted point of view, you know, the subjective uh -huh. point of view, the objective point of view. But most importantly, I want to use uh, this idea of shooting the whole movie in one uh, shot, mm -hmm. every scene in one shot, where you are stuck in time and place. So I want, and, and, but with this, I couldn't go, because in the beginning, I thought I would make about one character, like what happens, like she will be victim, but later she will be victimizing. But then you have to go back in time. So I wanted to make a movie where you are feeling you are stuck in time and place without having a flashback. This is why Huda and Reem, they are like, Huda is the flash forward of Reem, and Reem is the flashback of Huda. Mm -hmm. And they are flash forward and flash flashback are contradiction. But in this movie, they, they have a touch point. Yes. This is why... I, uh, 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 like the whole movie is about the touch point between contradiction and everything. And it comes across so beautifully because you see them, they're two sides of the same coin. One going forward, one going backwards, and then reversing at points. I, it's really, I love what you did with that construct. So well done. Uh, once again, you really have this ability, Hani, to nail perfectly those contradictions in characters. It comes across so cl so clearly here. But what you also introduce here that I find so interesting is the baby. The baby, Reem holds on to that baby for, what, 80% of the film, she's holding that baby, almost like a security blanket and protecting at the same time. But then when you have Yosef lock her in the house and take the baby, it also tells us, oh my God, the cycle is going to perpetuate itself because he now took this baby. So that really jumps us further ahead into the future and also taking us backwards, knowing what he's going to do with little Lena. It's so fascinating how you did this. You capture it very right. You know, the baby is the symbol of uh, the future, uh, the whole, the innocent. And we are like really clumping to that because this is like without hope, there is no life. Without innocent, there is like hell. Mm -hmm. So the baby was like her, uh, as you said, like her protection. Yeah. Then it's been taken. And then indeed, when the hope has been taken, and you, you, and, and, and the innocent being killed, uh, you know, uh, 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 cruelty will per perpetuate itself. Yeah. It's exactly, captured exactly how, how I meant it. Yeah, I just love that. But I gotta ask you, how was it working with a baby? <laughs> <laughs> there are four babies, you know, in the movies. That one. <laughs> Well, you can tell by the hair on the baby's head um, that you. Yes, yes. Yeah. You see, oh, you saw it. Good, good. You're the first one. Oh. You know, nobody saw it. Oh, please. Did you think I wouldn't see that? Of course I did. I knew you oh, had. Oh, sure, sure. <laughs> but, but, 
it was like because first of all you can't work with a baby more than you can't have a mother with a baby more than six hours on set mm-hmm. and we are shooting 16 uh, 20, uh, 12 hours so you have to have two shifts but also in the same shift you can't have one baby because if she's crying or if she's like sleeping or I don't know what you need them uh, stand in so we had like four babies <laughs> Every scene, every day, four mothers will be like at two in the morning, two in the afternoon with us. And um, it was, I felt very sorry because these babies are, uh, you know, like sometimes, um, I'll tell you a, a nice story about this. So, you know, I, the actress agreed to be, uh, to be filmed naked, yes, when she mm-hmm. was stripped from her clothes. Yeah. But um, I meant to, when she goes home, you remember she she started to strip her girl to change her, uh, you know, to change her. But I stopped filming when, uh, when, she, when the girl become naked because usually it's very innocent to show a naked baby because mm-hmm. yeah, there's nothing sensual about it. But I felt it's going to be violation of that girl somehow. Yeah. Because she is so vulnerable, and it's not her decision to be filmed while the actress is her decision to be filmed. Yeah. So I stopped. I, I, I had a problem with the babies because whatever you do, you are very scared that you're going to harm them because it's, it, it's not their choice to be in the movie. No, I think you made a very wise decision there. And something else I noticed you did with babies, and this is also because you're you got four different babies. So much of the baby, the head is nestled in Reem's neck and shoulder, so we don't see the face. So so much of the film, we don't see the baby's face. We'll see the little hands, and then I think you had either one or two of the babies. You actually gave us the little smiley face. A few times we get to see how cute and adorable the baby is. Um, but it is that innocence. And I'm so glad that you decided to stop and not show, the you know, because everybody goes, oh, a naked little baby, they're so cute. But in the context of this film, I, I don't think that would have worked had you done that. Yes, and also, indeed, I, I didn't want to show a lot of the baby except one time where you fall in love. Yes. Uh, when she's looking to her mother, you know, in a very cute way. So when I got that, I felt like this is enough because this is the, what are we longing to? Because the rest of the situation are so intense that the face of the baby will disturb the intensity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I, like mostly like she's trying to hide, like the mother is trying to hide the face of the baby from the horrifying uh, situation that she's in. This was the cinematic meaning of it, why I did not show a lot of the baby, the face. But one time, I show it one time in order to give you a sense of innocence, and that's it. And, and the rest of the film is very tense. This is why, let's say, the, the mother is protecting her, her girl to face the horrible situation she's in. Well, and what this also does is it ties directly to 
Huda's whole uh, thing of pulling the photograph and not wanting Hassan to see the photograph of Reem. There, it, it's analogous to what Reem is doing with the baby, protecting, hiding the face. Nobody can see. Huda takes the photograph to hide Reem's face. Um, I love that, that analogous situation that you developed there. Yes, exactly. Wow, you saw it very rightly. Because actually the Polaroid is the cinematic connection between the underground and the above the ground. Mm -hmm. Yes. So how, uh, so that picture is as if uh, indeed is the innocent dream and Huda is trying to hide her mm -hmm. from the cruelty of the world. Yeah. Exactly like analogy and the only like it's as if it's a ticking bomb the picture because if it's if it's under the ground hidden by uh, Huda is like it's safe at the moment it's being discovered and going up you know and being by the guy by the guys it's it's going like it's a ticking bomb you know mm -hmm. why so then yeah I, I use that as a cinematic connection between underground and the above the ground. I love the two locations that you have. You have, essentially it's just the two. It's Reem's apartment and then we have the underground, the interrogation underground. And I have to say, your use of color is so exquisitely chosen for both of these. And both of these locations, yes, underground, it's cold, it's callous, it's shadowy, it's hidden. But by the same token, Reem's own apartment, her home is the same way. Paint is chipped. There are bars and locks at the windows. The door locks from the outside, so she's locked in. There are two, here again, it might be above ground and one might be below ground, but it's very confining, very claustrophobic to the women in each situation <clears throat> and i just love how you how you structured that and then the actual visual production design of each of them with color is just stunning yeah exactly like the, when we uh, when uh, when i started working with a production designer uh, indeed we came up with this idea of uh, uh, underground, above the ground, where almost, uh, although it's a different lighting, they feel identical. Mm -hmm. uh, also by, by a contradiction in colors, because actually we played in, even in contradiction with colors. You know, actually blue contradict uh, red, but we try to make a touch point between these two contradictions. As all what I did in the movie, it's like the whole movie is about the touch point between good and bad, between like flash forward and flash back, uh, flash forward and flash back, between uh, a good uh, betrayal and, and, uh, uh, and, and reality, uh, between uh, subjective point of view of the camera and objective point of view, but also in color, they have a touch point, the mm -hmm. blue and the red. And we played in that palette of the touch point between, between contradicted colors, uh, like red and blue. 
I've got one big question for you then with this one, honey. What drove you? Because I know this movie, I know who the salon stems from a real incident, and I'm sure more than one real incident that happens uh, in the region. So I'm curious, what made now the right time for you to tell this story? Actually, uh, accidentally, uh, my wife asked me to, uh, if I know story. She, she's a writer too, and she wants to write a story about women in Palestine, and I told her this uh, article I read. And she said, this is an article, like, what is the story here? What, how, how you... And, and I, I didn't know, but next time I told her the outline I thought about. And she said, why, my God, this is like you. Because always I put any story I, I, I came upon to, I put it in a thriller genre, and unconsciously, you know, like, and, uh, and it's like if my wife did not ask me that, that day about the story, I won't remember it because I read it 20 years ago, the, the article, but it's stuck in my mind, and, and actually it's that. It's by luck. Uh, my, if my wife did not ask me that day, I won't make. I, I was. I was willing to do another story about. Um, was, uh, uh, actually, I was preparing or writing a movie about uh, um, a, a wedding singer in Palestine. Mm -hmm. and, and I, 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 no, like, and then when when I when I came up with the story, realized that oh my God, this is more intense, more important. This is like, uh, it's my responsibility also to tell the story. So the accident made me realize that what I should do actually next. Mm. Well, I'm so happy you told this story and that you made this film. I really love this film, honey. And as you said, all of your films have a thriller element to them. This is just where your mind goes. You're captivated by stories like this. Like, yeah, I'm now 60 and I'm trying to analyze my previous work and indeed, like, probably because I feel like the genre thriller allows you to make audience uh, more engaged, mm -hmm. but let them think about crucial, uh, you know, you can make them think about crucial, uh, 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 cru existential, let's say, uh, themes. Yeah. So you can let them think and... Uh, and as you said in the beginning, you uh, there is so many uh, material to think about. Yeah, you. I, I believe the genre thriller make makes the intensify that thinking. Absolutely, and when this film ends, you are thinking about this film. I could not get it out of my mind, honey. There, you have so many issues here, internal issues. Uh, sense of geopolitical issues, the emotionality that's involved, you think, you do not stop thinking about this film once you see it. Yeah, and, uh, yeah I believe because, uh, thankful to the genre thriller, I believe. Yeah. Uh, and, and also, yes, it's like when you, when you write, like, the explanation to that is that when you, when the genre is, 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 um, intensifying the experience but also when your character are real and honest to reality mm -hmm. 
and when your theme is interesting you can you can get like in all these things can kind of um, uh, um, uh, a guarantee for a good movie mm. I believe you've done it again my friend that's all I can tell you you've done it again thank you Debbie next time in LA we will we will uh, we will connect and maybe we can have drinks and talk more. Oh God! And I hope I I hope that'll be soon. I hope I get to see you in town soon. I hope so. I don't have yet a uh, plan to go to LA, but uh, you never know. Well, then get to work. Get to work. <laughs> oh, honey, I miss you, my friend, and I look forward to seeing you soon. Thank you, thank you, Debbie. See you soon. Bye bye. Bye-bye. And that was Hani Abu Assad talking about Huda's Salon. It's a fascinating film. Um, you do not mind subtitles, let me tell you. And the film is so visually concise and performances are so tight that you don't even need to read the subtitles to understand the emotion and the plot points of what's happening in the film. Um, it is available on digital and VOD. Uh, so see it when you're sitting there one day and you're trying to think of something to see that is not in the mainstream. Take a look at Huda's Salon. All right. And now we're going to we're switching gears here and I'm welcoming the very talented Alessandro Gentili. Hi, Alessandro. Hi, how are you? I am. I am thrilled. I am thrilled. I have to thank you right off the bat for introducing us to yet another fine young actor. The past couple years, we have uh, some of the finest young at talents have been found on the on the screen, and you do that with Lodo and the adorable Jaden and Amarado. Um, yeah, she's a she's a she's a. <laughs> it was a sweet find. Yeah, <laughs> the kid's very talented, and I hope he continues after watching uh, the film on the big screen at uh, Santa Barbara International Film Festival last month. Oh, my God. he The camera loves him. His face is beyond priceless um, with the emotion, yeah. and he's a kid. He's not a 40-year-old yeah. in, in an 8-year-old's body. He's a kid. Exactly. Um, so... But let, let's tell people about this wonderful little short film of yours, Lodo, so they get an idea of why I'm just so enamored with, with Jaden's performance. Um, of course. This is, I love this film, Alessandro. I love it. Oh, thank you. Um, I didn't thank know you. what to, there's a lot you pack in here in a short yeah. film, but you do it so effortlessly Nothing feels rushed. Um, you give us backstory by way of what's yep. happening with the wonderful character of Eru, which who uh -huh. is played by Jaden. Um, it's just, and you're fascinated as you meld grief and Native American, Hispanic. Yep. Um, you have culture melded here. Uh, and it's just so beautifully done with this story of a little boy who his mother died when he was very young and he misses her. And yeah. he starts dreaming and having visions or 
you know, vision quests in his dreams um, involving mm-hmm. her. And, of course, it all happens after he goes and plays in the cemetery. You know, this is why they tell you, do not dance yeah. on top of graves. Uh, exactly. <laughs> where did the idea... I understand that your aunt had written an essay or a story that inspired yeah. you? Yeah, so my aunt wrote a, uh, an essay called El Alma del Lodo, the, the Soul of the Mud. And um, it really sparked my imagination for, uh, for a film. And, um, and so I, uh, I approached my, my writer-producer, Marita de la Torre, which is, uh, she plays the mother mm-hmm. in the film. And um, we, we fleshed it out into a short film. And this is something that, that took place, I want to say, eight years ago. Wow. After we shot another project together. Because um, I'm a my day job is a cinematographer, so I was uh, shooting another short film that actually won many awards and it also premiered at Santa Barbara Film Festival as well, like uh, seven years ago, six years ago, and um, and then from there we just uh, you know it's something we wanted to do, but uh, you know life got in the way and I, I started a family and then um, we both started a film festival in Northeast Los Angeles, and uh, I was mentoring kids, also uh, troubled youth kids. In, uh, in Northeast Los Angeles as well. And so kind of detoured a little bit. But, of course, in the worst time ever uh, during the pandemic, we're like, <laughs> you know, you start reflecting on yourself and life and just, you know, things that you want to, you, you haven't finished or they're incomplete in your life. And uh, and that's when we, we took it on. We, uh, we, we got some funding and then we just, um, we started casting. I think the main thing was to cast the, the young boy and we did a normal casting process, you know, we did backstage, the whole deal. Mm-hmm. But all these kids were coming back, you know, very polished, very Disney-like, you know, Nickelodeon style, and uh, couldn't yeah. speak Spanish well. And it was very, it was very critical that the kid could speak very good English and very good Spanish. <laughs> and and also have a little bit of that, that cultural, you know, uh, uh, Latino, you know, skin and just kind of complexion and and uh, um, and has experienced some stuff, you know, in his own personal life too. You see it on the screen. I mean, the, you know, the kid—he's very shy too. Uh, Jaden's extremely shy, but we found him through Operation Street Kids. Operation Street Kids is an organization, nonprofit organization that 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 takes troubled youth and places them in like film productions, and they actually teach them filmmaking, acting, the whole nine yards. And uh, I reached out to them, and they gave me four four kids. And Jaden just popped out. We're like, whoa, this kid is uh, unbelievable. And uh, he was able to hit all the cues. I think the most challenging part was trying to keep his eyeballs off the lens. But <laughs> other than that, he, you know, he cried on cue. He, like, you know, he, he was emotional, the whole emotional string. And the scheduling was very, very, had to be very critical because we couldn't give him anything too heavy right off the bat. Mm-hmm. So we had to kind of ease them into um, the first shooting day. And then after that, you know, after that first scene, I think the first scene was in the kitchen, the kitchen and him getting the phone call from his friend and then going to the window. Mm-hmm. Um, they're like, hey, let's go play soccer, you know. And then that was that preludes to, you know, the ball going into the cemetery. And then he uh, he retrieves it from like just mud. After some rains in Texas, he, he retrieves it from this muddy uh, um, p- uh, puddle of mud uh, underneath the base of a tree. 
um, which that location was also a beautiful find as well. <laughs> well, and I have to. But, uh, I was going to say, I have to say, you know, when he falls, trying to get, he's trying to get his ball without getting mud on himself. Because, you know, then his grandmother's going to know where he was exactly. and where he shouldn't have exactly. been. We've all been there and done that, folks, at some point in our lives. But then he actually falls face first into the mud and rushes home and takes off, as we all would do, take off the muddy clothes and hide them so that his grandmother doesn't see them. Uh, exactly. So exactly. Is, and this is what sets this film up so beautifully Alessandro is this is just a kid this is exactly what a kid does a kid gets a call he wants to play with his friend get out of the house um, and then does exactly what he's not supposed to do uh, and then you know doesn't want to admit to it so (laughs) exactly exactly and that's where that's the authenticity that's the heart of this film so that everything that then happens after that you're really, it's, you're kind of shocked. You then take us somewhere we weren't expecting. Here we are expecting yeah, a cute story about a little boy. And then it becomes much more. And I love how yeah, you, you, get, you, get you a, crafted you, it. You get a string of like supernatural events that just start reoccurring. And uh, pretty much in a nutshell, like his, uh, his, his, his mom's spirit comes and visits him. Um, after all these, this culmination of uh, supernatural events that happen afterwards, and it's, it, it kind of like fringes on uh, magical realism a little bit as well. Mm-hmm. But we don't go there fully. But it's kind of like hinted, you know, and just a little, little weaved in a little bit. But um, it's very hard uh, film to kind of put in a genre. Really, it's kind of a mixed, uh, mixed genre. It, it so really is. You can't really is. say it's like a spiritual film. You can't say it's a supernatural film only. It's like it's all everything. Yeah, I mean, it's a really nice meld uh, of various elements that you've pulled, but you mesh them all so well. And a lot of that starts cinematically beyond what you have on the page. It starts with your DP, with Jeff Dolan's work and what the two of you have come up with. And your work as a cinematographer clearly comes through here with your directorial eye. Um, you're very cognizant of your visuals, and um, most particularly how you and Jeff keep the camera eye level at Eru's mm-hmm. eye exactly. level. We stay in his POV. So when the guy in the cemetery, um, Don Cirillo, mm-hmm. when he shows up, I told mm-hmm. you stay out of here. It, it's it's touching up. We're looking up because that's Eru's perspective. We see it when he's with his grandmother. Um, you get him on level playing fields to a degree. Maybe when his, his Bueli is leaning down when he's taking a bath and he wants privacy. He just wants to get all the mud off before she sees it all. We know this. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> but all these. A very good observation. Thank you. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. It's like, yeah. How many times did, did my brothers try that when they were young? Uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. yeah. but I've done it. We're all wrong. That's yeah. it. I mean, we, we have all, so you see this and it's like you immediately, you tap into this, but by keeping us at Eru's eye level, we are there in his mind. It's not just his POB, POV, but 
we're putting ourselves back into that mindset. You know, it takes it being a little kid, little kid. Little yeah, kid, it took me right back as mm-hmm. to yeah, I'd be doing this, I'd be doing that. Yeah, I got told don't do that. I'm going to go do it anyway. Um, <laughs> this is <laughs> and this is what kids do. Uh, and exactly, I love yeah, how just, you visually just going convey back, it. And just going back to Jeff Dolan, he's just a great talent. This guy, uh, you know. Um, you know, being a cinematographer, I just I just knew that I didn't want to like multitask like that. So mm-hmm. I, I I took a step back and I you know I recruited Jeff and luckily he said yes with our humble budget, and uh, you know he shot HBO McMillions that premiered at Sundance uh, one or two years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's he's not a lightweight. You know he's uh, he just had a feature film that also premiered at South by Southwest and. Uh, so he's, uh, you know, and we, you know, we touched on, you know, Italian neorealism, something we went, actually, I went back to and was kind of introduced to him was, hey, I want this to feel, you know, I want it to feel real, you know, the moments of handheld that we need to, to do. And he has a background in, in documentary uh, mm-hmm. films. And so he was able to kind of like jump to both, you know, do a little more stable and then also um, go to handheld when needed and just kind of have these one shots because, you know, our schedule is really tight too. And so there's a lot of like happy accidents where it's like, okay, well, I think we can make this a one or I just kind of follow the action and then we'll just kind of piece it, you know, together. And, um, you know, he did it really beautifully and, uh, and we moved pretty quickly. And we also like let the actors sometimes move in the space mm-hmm. and let them kind of perform. Uh, you know, and that works really well when you do have kids involved. To, yes. to let actors, it's like, here, you have all this room. Do what you want. Yep. Um, exactly. And then we just followed action and then just let the, let the, let the kid just do, him, do his thing. Yeah, because you start doing coverage and close-up and this and, and freezing time, and it's taking a long time to get coverage on the scene. You start losing them, you know. You start losing them quickly. And it's really, you know, I had to be really careful in, like, what I, how I directed him or how, how I told him what to do because – you tell a kid one thing, he'll just he'll just shoot off and go another direction, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, I had to be kind of finessy with that and really get to his level. And me having to, you know, have three kids, so I, you know, I I, I know that, but it's like <laughs> I, I needed to really also kind of have that patience and bring that patience to the whole process. And and uh, he did a beautiful job. Yeah, I'm really proud of him. Well, and I'm curious about what your discussions were like with Jeff and how you came up with your lighting design here because you keep a very natural it's very natural uh the scenes in the house with Bueli and and Eru outside it's you know we really can feel the freshness of being outside even though it's in a cemetery um there is fresh air we get that but then when you go into the super into the dreams and into the supernatural Mm. I love how you Take the lighting, especially when we when Isabella, when Eru's mother, uh, mm-hmm. appears. Appears, and you really go with that bright white GE white light bulb, um, yeah. and yeah. really give us that ethereal distinction. It's clean. It also plays into the water. The whole idea of baptismal, a new life, rebirth. Mm-hmm. Um, your metaphor is spectacular, but. The lighting contrast that you have, and even some of the darker moments of mm-hmm. the dream, the dreams that are happening. How did you go about designing the lighting? Because it is so distinctive to let us know subconsciously where we are. Yeah. 
surprisingly, surprisingly, it's a, a lot of it's single source. You know, we did a lot of single source stuff. I think maybe in one scene we used two lights, but it was always single source, and it was motivated through either a, a lamp or like a or a window. And it was really important to differentiate this dream. And I don't know if you um, you didn't explain it, but like after the the kid goes through this kind of nightmare dream sequence, he falls in water. And he just, I wanted to do all this in camera, mm-hmm. the transition. I wanted him to kind of float away and then gra- gravitate down towards the bed. And uh, it was very challenging. It took probably like seven people to accomplish the shot. Wow. But he, uh, the boy, you know, we have, uh, you have him in a kind of in a gurney type of situation, the production designer. And then his assistant, they kind of like lowered him into, onto the bed. And then someone else is bringing the covers over. And then someone else is dimming down the lamp. To, next to his bed mm-hmm. and then dimming up outside the sunlight the, the sunrise which is a, that blinding white light you're talking about mm-hmm. right behind um his mother when he when she appears in spirit form mm-hmm. and it was all like i wanted to keep it very seamless and in camera and not do any special green you know green screen special effects i just wanted to kind of keep it very natural kind of like kind of like old spielberg you know like mm-hmm. close encounter stuff, you know, or it's just it's all in camera and you usually see things happening, you know, um, with the lighting changing and, and, uh, and action of the characters, you know, experiencing what uh, they're experiencing in, in the, the scene. You know. But it was really important to transition to have that cool, warm kind of play as well. Mm-hmm. Right. Because we're going from this kind of like very, um, comfortable womb-like you know warmness you mm-hmm. know the, the, the grandmother tucks them for bed but then it all starts shifting right mm-hmm. it all starts shifting after that you know how the the underwater sequence itself i've got to tell you that's absolutely oh. stunning thank you the, yeah, yeah that's uh that is that's all right. the bubbles the you know the descent into the water, yeah. all the bubble. I mean, it is a stunning sequence, and I love the fact that most people, when you get when you're doing underwater sequences, they're going to either make it like blue, blue, or right. you're going to have bits of plankton or something floating around in there. There's some kind of depth. There's no depth to this water. There's no color. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And it's just totally gray. It is the void between life and death, exactly. almost. Exactly. Um, just, exactly. it made me think of, uh, you know, like the river sticks in, you know, yes. in Roman times and in Greek times, you know, it's the place in between. It's not a flaming hell purgatory exactly. like some religions tout, but you've got, it's the, it's just black water. It's blackness. And I, it works. That's, that's exactly right. It works so well, Alessandro. I love that visual, that design, that concept. And that and that, that wasn't in the story, you know. There's 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 elements that we added, you know, or you know that I, that I came up with that were um, that were not originally in the short story, you know. So it's like uh, we pretty much took the essence of the story. And again, when my when my aunt watched the film at the premiere, which was sold out by the way, it was at Santa Barbara. Yay! Really just <laughs> yeah, it was sold out, and uh, my, my family and friends almost couldn't get in. Crew, it was really really insane. Um, but just going back and just being like a UCSB alumni as well, film studies alumni, and just, you know, um, had my directorial debut there was, was fantastic. But when she saw it, she uh, she said, yeah, the essence was there, but it's like you gave it this other life. Mm-hmm. And you just kind of like flesh it out in a different way. 
And it was just beautiful because you actually picked the elements of the story and just wove it together into a beautiful, you know, uh, uh, a film, you know, that has a you know, beginning, middle, and end. And, and, you know, leaves it up really up for interpretation of the viewer. Really. Yeah. You guys, you know, could, could um, take, get to different takeaways. Yeah. Um, depending I, on what you're experiencing or what, you know, your, your, your background is. And, um, and that was the beauty of it. And that's why it's really hard to kind of like pitch what it is. Or like, what type of genre is it? Or you know, what what's the takeaway from it? It's like, people are going to have their own interpretation and their own, um, you know, observation of what they see, you know, and yeah, experience. Mm-hmm. Well, another great. I don't know if I answered that. Yes, you <laughs> did. You know, we just hey, we have conversations on behind the lens. Yeah. You know. I know. I love it. I don't write questions. I never have. Never will. It's all conversation. Uh, we just go with Love the flow, uh, <laughs> just like Eru in his water, underwater. Um, you know, another, a great element of this film that, especially in short films, um, music can be so often overlooked. It gets, mm. it, you know, it gets overlooked enough in feature films or in documentaries, but in short films, sometimes that becomes a throwaway almost, and people will throw in temp temp track or something like that and just leave it or get royalty free stuff I have to mm-hmm. tell you your the scoring here from Ivan Carmanes mm-hmm. Bahigas is it's piano it's guitar it's simple yeah. it's beautiful yeah. it's haunting where yeah. did you find Ivan and what were you looking for musically to serve as your undercurrent here because that's what the music in Lodo oh, is yeah. it's an undercurrent. You're it's not trying to overpower Eru or Bueli um, or anything. It's an undercurrent that just kind of lulls you along. But I love the piano and guitar and that oh, entire yeah. so, you know uh, arrangement is fabulous. But what were you looking for with Ivan? What were your conversations like? Yeah. So so Yvonne, Yvonne, we met on the other short film that we did seven years ago. Uh, it's called Cans at Dawn. That I, you know, I said that the premiere is Santa Barbara as well, and went on to win some awards. Uh, went to Cannes Film Festival as well. Um, it was really important that we didn't uh, do the cliche thing and do the Spanish guitar thing. You know, like like all you know, uh, a lot of Latino films do, like the ding 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 ding. You know, the yeah. whole. That was really important to kind of stay away from that. But if we did use it, to use it in a very punctual way, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was one note. And then there was the, the themes. There's different themes. There's like the haunting theme. Yeah. There's the theme between the uh, the boy and the grandmother. There's the theme of the, the mother spirits. So there's all these themes to like kind of weave in and out of the, of the film. And he just, he just took to it. He just... Uh, he actually was in the countryside when he kind of wrote all the stuff and recorded with his uh, with his girlfriend and and uh, beautiful pieces, beautiful yeah. pieces. And then he added that kind of Latino element when needed, kind of towards the end. Mm-hmm. You know, when the, the grandmother's doing the whole ceremonial um, uh, cleansing, uh, if you will, um, of uh, bad spirits in the room and all that. So this uh, very traditional. Uh, Mexican um, 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 kind of uh, a process, and he—that's where he kind of throws in the organic element of just a little guitar, mm-hmm. and it just worked beautifully. He just kind of accents it, you know, and just—it uh, was very beautifully done. And he—I uh, can't speak too much because I, I wish he could, you know, tell you guys more because he's very passionate, and and he also had that sensitivity. 
very sensitive. He, uh, you know, he is a graduate from CalArts, and so he knows, you know, he studied music for a very long time. And even in uh, Amsterdam, he also studied at the School of Music over there. And uh, he, he just, uh, he had the sensitivity that the film needed. He, he was, he was Eru, you know, he put himself in Eru's shoes. And when he uh, composed the music, he was, he put himself in his shoes. Mm-hmm. We had another guy that we're interviewing. And this, this process was actually the longest because I think it was really oh, wow. important to us. Maritza and I, mm-hmm. to really have music that just drives this, but, like, it's not kind of cringy or, you know, cheesy, like, you know, you're saying, like, using royalty stuff. And, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, uh, it had the right uh, the right sensitivity, you know, right? And uh, we looked at some guys in Texas because the film is set in Texas and Brownsville area down in the south. Uh, um, and uh, just to give it that Texas vibe, but it just wasn't working. And, you know, you know, there's a there's a big history of contrast, you know, with films like, you know, like, say, for instance, like the, the Spaghetti Westerns, right? You have these Italians kind of making these soundtracks for these these American Westerns, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're like, whoa. <laughs> but it, it adds a whole contrast, in, you know, yeah. um, to, to filmmaking. And so he really brought kind of like a European sensitivity to it. And just just it works. It kind of works. It works. The contrast works. Oh, I think it's 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 wonderful, and I I just love the music, and I love how once Boily starts with Sage, you know, burning that Sage, uh, yeah. walking around the house, and then we start hearing the Spanish guitar influence pick up. Yep, and the fl- the flute, and the flute. Yes, yeah, it's, it's really masterful and, and yeah and the flute, really knocked it out of the park and the flute is so lovely because the flute also kind of harkens mm. to good spirits, you know, like the spirit of Isabella. Right. Um, you know, flutes mm-hmm. are so often used in dream sequences, you know, nice dream yep. sequences. Um, yep. So or heavenly ethereal things. So, no, it's just so yeah. well done. So I know we're almost out of time yeah. here, but I've got to ask you, Alessandra, yeah. what was this learning mm-hmm. curve like for you going from because you had two uh, short documentaries under your belt as a director. Now you jump into a narrative. What was that learning curve like? Was there a big difference for you in appro- how you approach directing docs versus narrative? Yeah, it just uh, it, it really showed me like it taught me like being closer to actors and just because it's not, it's not easy. It's not easy kind of directing an actor, especially. I mean, luckily we had an amazing cast, but I really learned kind of um, that you really need to be patient. And you can't be that barky guy on set. You know, it's got to be like, it's a team effort. You got to stay calm because once you fall apart, everything falls apart. So it was really, um, the challenge was to really stay calm. And like, even in stressful moments or like when there's, we're losing light or we're shooting the scene, the bathtub scene in the background uh, Mm -hmm. in the backyard. And there's like the 110 freeway right there. And you hear it the whole time, you know, like, (laughs) how am I going to fix that? You know, Uh, you know, thinking of that, but we still got to shoot it. We got to shoot it because this is the best place for that scene. So, um, you know, we had to ADR that. So all these things that, you know, um, just are compounding in your head before you go into a film shoot. I had to kind of just take a breath and just really just um, let, 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 just let, let it all kind of play out. And, uh, um, not be like that kind of, um, you most definitely don't want to be kind of like a, um, just a very, uh, uh, high maintenance or, 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 um, what's the word I'm trying to use? Um, kind of like micromanaging. You don't want to micromanage uh-huh. people. So you yeah. want to just let everybody creatively do their thing 
and then it all beautifully just kind of culminates and comes together. So really patience and just being able to, you know, it was a challenge to work with kids, you know, it's, it's not easy. And so I had to deal with the, the teacher that was on set and also had to deal with him and, and trying to keep him calm, but also trying to hit the moment. So I had to get really close and, uh, uh, and really communicate some stuff with him. And, and, um, but I got to know him, you know, because I, I went to his house a couple of times before, you know, and then really got to know him, did some zoom meetings. So it's really important to build, build a little relationship with your, with your actors. Mm-hmm. because that's the only way you could actually get some of the things out of them that you need uh, to to really um, to hit home with this and and Marita was hard because we have we're like we have a long friendship and so uh, I remember she was um, when she first sat down for the first take she was kind of like her eyes were kind of darting a little bit darting and I just thought that was the only thing I told her I'm like just you know stay locked in on on, on Eru and don't dart your eyes and just you know kind of really have it come from from your heart and she uh the second take was just, she, she crushed it. I think that's the one we used, and, and she really, really nailed it. So now will we see you doing more narratives, possibly feature narratives? You're going to go back to docs. What's the game plan? Yes, uh, a little bit a little bit of both. So um, in the directing sense, mm-hmm. there's two films that are, I'm working on doc-wise doc uh, features. One of them is uh, on um, canoe, uh, canoe surfing. Um, outrigger canoe surfing. So um, before the pandemic, we went and shot in Hawaii. This guy is the first one to bring it to the West Coast in Huntington Beach. And so he has like, you know, he's bringing the, co- the culture of aloha to the West Coast. And so that's a story we're kind of developing right now and been shooting. Uh, we've been shooting for the last two, three years, but we got frozen a little bit with the pandemic. Um, another documentary is on um, Los Gauchos Argentinos. It's a, a dance troupe from Argentina who has actually uh, toured, you know, the country and the world for many years, and um, had a relationship with the the, the lead, uh, um, the the leader of this group, uh, um, Luis Frias, who actually uh, we lost him to to COVID uh, um, a couple of years ago, which is really sad. But um, so I've been kind of developing that with uh, his family and. Um, and uh, and I'd like to flesh this out into a feature as well. So uh, I think it's uh, something you know we discussed at the film festival with the actors, and I think uh, I want to kind of break it up into two other parts that could kind of merge together to create a feature with what you saw, um, mm-hmm. and uh, having like a prequel of how how the whole uh, incident happened with the mother, right. like the, the little boy in the beginning, and then kind of transitioning to the story of the grandmother, and kind of having it called like you know. Um, either earth, uh, water, earth, and then lodo, you know, kind of like playing with those elements of like earth and water and how they come together to create mud and just, uh, um, I don't know, playing with those ideas. But right now that's kind of uh, in play. And then as a cinematographer, uh, I'm going to start shooting uh, the Richard Duardo documentary. Uh, Richard Duardo is a a very prolific uh, Chicano uh, artist here in East Los Angeles. And uh, just look him up. He's a very talented, uh, we lost him to alcoholism, you know, uh, in, the, in the late 90s, but uh, we're, uh, you know, I'm working with uh, Richard uh, um, Richard Montoya um, to to um, to flesh out the story of, uh, of, of this uh, prolific artist. So. Wow. Busy man. Yeah. So where is Lodo going into any more festivals yet? You know, what's what's going on with that? Where can people look for it? Uh, do yeah. we know of any festivals? Yeah, so we can't we can't announce it yet, but uh, yeah, April first or second they're gonna announce uh, Philadelphia Latino Film Festival, so we'll be there. 
Um, but, you know, we can't announce that online yet, but if you guys want to put a placeholder on that, um, and that's going to be online. So uh, you'll be able to uh, to go to their website and, uh, and then watch the program and uh, watch the film that way, even though I recommend going to the theater and seeing it. Yeah. 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 So, and we're, you know, we have, we have some stuff, uh, uh, in LA, I just can't announce yet, but, uh, we're, uh, we're working on the LA premiere. Um, and, uh, and also in in Europe and France. So we'll, there's a lot of things right now that we're kind of waiting to, to, to get responses from. Um, so we'll see, we'll see, but, uh, uh, it's still so so early on and, you know, Santa Barbara was our first one. And, uh, we've been getting calls and messages from other film festivals wanting us to submit. So, We'll see. The journey just started, so so I'm excited to see where it goes. But definitely, be, being on the big screen, 5.1, especially, and you you, you didn't even experience it like that. Um, but you know that that water sequence when he falls, it's just you're you're engulfed in water in the, in the theater when we uh, when you hear it. It's really beautiful, and uh, um, so yeah, hopefully uh, you guys can come see it in the on the big screen. But uh, yeah, follow us at uh, uh, Lobo Short Films. That's on Facebook and Instagram. And then you can go to my website as well to stay informed. It's uh, gentileimages.com backslash Lodo. And, um, yeah, just kind of look out and support, and uh, hopefully uh, we get some eyeballs on it and uh, just keep creating. You know, that's what it's about, you know. That's it. Oh, Alessandro, I can't thank you enough. This has been so wonderful to have you on the show today. Thank I you. hope you'll come thank back. You. Yes, yes. Please have us back. Yes. <laughs> I will. I will. You're wonderful. Oh, Alessandro. You're, you're wonderful. Oh, thank you. And thank you so this much. This is like probably the best interview I've done because it's so, I like that kind of just natural free flow. I like that. I like that, you know, really, it really catches, catches my personality that way. That's, you know, it, that's, you catch everybody's that way. It's the only way yeah. to go in my book, but. I'm so glad that you that I could talk to you about Lodo because I do. I think it is charming, it is beautiful, and I really love it. And I will see it if you when you have an LA premiere. I will see it on the big screen. Please, so, please. And, oh. uh, we love Adrenaline Radio behind the lens. <laughs> oh, Alessandro, thank you, and hopefully we'll talk again soon. Thank you. Bye bye. Bye bye. And that was Alessandro Gentili talking about Lodo. Be on the lookout for it, people. It's making its way on the fest circuit. So that is all the time we have today. Next week, we're going to have a general hospital actor with us and a couple other people uh, about a new film that is that is opening next month. So until then, make sure you follow me. On Twitter, Movie Shark D or BTL Radio Show, uh, because I'll be putting updates on there as to who exactly is coming up. April is a big general hospital month. Just letting you know that. So, until next week, I'm Debbie Elias. This is Behind the Lens. Mm-hmm.